Imagine having access to a tribe of mentors consisting of some of the best tech leaders in the world, people you may have never heard of, but who in just an hour, you'll know their unfiltered career story, the bets they took, the decisions they made, where they failed, and the lessons that they learned along the way. Welcome to the What Makes You Tick podcast. Hi, I'm Tolu, aka The Podfather, and I'm the host of What Makes You Tick. And I am Richard Washington. I own Tick Talent, and we sponsored this week's podcast. Tolu, we're going stateside. Who have we got on this week? So we are on a bit of a pavilion spree at the moment because we have Josh Pearson, who actually does a mini pavilion ad. So maybe we should send this to them. But what did you think of this week's episode with Josh? Yeah. So again, another brilliant person that I've managed to meet through pavilion. I think I just took a chance and connected with people when I first joined. And Josh was one of those nice enough people to have a conversation with me, which to be mm. fair, most people have. Um, <laughs> And he's just this really down-to-earth guy. But we were talking about this pre-recording, right? Yeah. And he's got that quiet confidence that's yeah. very appealing. Yeah. And you can see why he's sort of been noticed as someone who has ability to step up in his career and ultimately become, you know, VP and very successful mm. within leadership roles too. Because he kind of exudes that I would follow you and listen to you kind of vibe, mm -hmm. but without any of the kind of like massive attitude huge charisma that you might mm. associate with some people who are more famous in that space, you know, Kron Cardone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so there's a really, there's a load of humble things in here. I know we've talked about this already, but for people who are just joining now, what are those things that you remember most from your conversation with Josh that you love the most? So when I asked him what makes you tick, he was like, I hate losing more than I love winning. Mm. And I was like, I can hear that. And that's what a lot of the like hyper compressors like Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, that's what they're like. They're like, mm. I hate losing more than I love winning. And he, he just talked about some of the big lessons he learned from from losses. And yeah, just really, really down to earth. But there's a lot of really good stuff that he that he has to say. And he's had a really interesting career. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. And I, I love Americans as a general thing. So I love their competitive nature. So it's always good to talk to another American. Yeah, go Bucks. <laughs> Yeah. Go, Go <laughs> <laughs> Cool. So I think people are going to love this conversation. Um, so without further ado, let's roll the VT. Josh, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Oh, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. So first question is, Josh, what makes you tick? Ah, what really makes me tick, what drives me is mm. um, I hate losing. <laughs> you know I mean? I, so most people love to win I, yeah i'm a little bit opposite of that uh, okay and, and i had this conversation the other day that you know when i have success or i do win mm. i don't remember it as much as when i lose like something wow. that i've lost even a deal that i lost 10 years ago still mm. s sticks with me <laughs> so so that's kind of what drives me um and then you know, just uh, so I have a family, three boys. Um, okay. So just really showing them the right way to do things. Uh, mm. That really, I, I want to instill that in my children. So do mm. the right thing, mm. um, and don't lose. <laughs> Would you say over the years that you've won more than you've lost? Um. Yeah, I, I would say that okay. I, that's a fair assessment. Um, I'd say. You know the 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 larger wins are what what stick with me. The little wins along the way um, okay. have been key. 
but th those losses, like I said, they, they stick with me. Um, so yeah. uh, I'm not that I'm a pessimist and think about that all the time, <laughs> but uh, as soon as you asked that question, what immediately went to mind was lo what losses yeah. I had. Yeah. Um, so. I, I, but if I were to stack rank them, I would say I'm, I'm about, you know, 70, 30 at this point wins versus Okay. Losses. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Would you mind telling me about your biggest win and your biggest loss? Your biggest loss? Yeah. Um, so biggest win was quite a while ago. Um, but it, it's, you know, it, it was a key victory. Um, I was with a company. Do you want me to go into specifics as far? Yeah. Yeah. Or? If you can, if you can. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I was with uh, Adobe. Uh, okay. This is quite a while ago, and I was uh, selling the desktop solutions there. Um, mm. And you know, I had a peer of mine who was selling the server-based products. We were able to identify a need within Homeland Security. I was selling public sector at the time, right? And we were able to basically sell an enterprise agreement to all the sub agencies. Uh, based upon building a champion at, you know, DHS headquarters. Yeah. So that was a massive deal. I mean, mm. game changing deal um, right. is for the company, public sector portion. And then obviously for me as mm. an individual, that kind of, that was a, a feather in my cap at the time. Yeah. Um, Amazing. Unfortunately, you know, uh, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't making as much as I am today. So the commission was a, not as significant <laughs> as it would be, but yeah. Um, that was one of those those deals that was a learning lesson. It was like, this is how mm. you build big enterprise deals. It was like, mm. you cultivate a champion, you mm. identify, you know, all the stakeholders. So there's 22, maybe 23 uh, stakeholders that we had to get buy-in for from each wow. agency, build those, and then get everyone to agree. So if you can imagine trying to get, you know, that many people to agree on something, yeah. uh, it's quite a sell. So yeah. that, that, that was an amazing, amazing feat. Um, you know, at the time, I think it was like, it, it was significant. I'll just, it was mm -hmm. over $84 million. Um, that's time, very so. significant. <laughs> massive yeah, massive yeah. deal. Um, so that one, and then there's been some other ones along the way that have just been really good things that I built upon what I learned there. Mm. Um, as far as losing, I don't want to go into the specifics of the deal that I've lost, but mm -hmm. the lessons that I've learned, I've learned. Okay. Um, so, yeah, cause you know, they could listen to this, that customer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. You're happy about that. <laughs> yeah. but, so there was an opportunity I was working. It was a large opportunity. I worked at cradle to grave and this was as mm. an individual contributor, not as a leader. Um, mm. and what I, what I failed to do. And like, like I said, this is what I learned and it sticks with me is I didn't have a deep enough relationship. Mm. Um, I didn't go wide enough within the account. So I thought I was covered, um, last minute swooped in. So this is a deal at the end of the year that I thought, mm. Hey, I'm not only going to be at my number, I'm going to be in accelerators and I'm already cashing the check. So that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> okay. Get yeah. Car, you know, whatever it might be. <laughs> um, last minute, you know, uh, a competitor came in. They had a better relationship. It was a golfing buddy. And uh... the decision maker just said, we're going to go with this one versus your solution, even though we had the technical win. We had yeah. everything you could check the box on. Mm. Um, so that stuck with me. I was like, okay, well, uh, Josh, if you ever, and I never speak in the third person, I'm just, uh, but, yeah. uh, 
if but I talking to yourself. Have, yeah, if I ever have the deal in the bag, then I'm wrong. So that's what sticks with mm. me. It's not done until it's done. It's so done. Keep going, keep building, keep, you know, d d don't assume that, hey, it's in procurement, we're good to go. Mm. Um, talk to the procurement person, you know, mm. figure that out, build that kind mm. of relationship. Um, and that can only benefit you. It is that mm. this is our jobs and our careers to build. So, mm. you know, who knows what would have happened if, and like I said, this is what goes back into it. If mm. that deal would have closed, where would I be today? Right. Mm. Um, mm. you know, I learned a lesson, so it's painful, but it's, it's like, okay, but that could have been uh, a launching pad to something else. You know what True. I mean? And you never really know where life is going to take you. Mm. Um, so do your best every day to try and win the individual mm. battles Yeah, because you don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it can kind of work both ways because I think that sometimes you learn like the painful lessons that you learn when you lose the lessons when you win are not as strong. So you don't know actually where that the lessons that you've learned from that loss might help you in an even bigger deal down the line that will take you to even better places. So for me, it's like sometimes when you lose that feedback that you get, if you take the lessons, it's like for the future, that's just banked away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. I mean, if you look at it like, so I like to use sports analogies when I'm thinking yeah. about sales and life and all those things. Um, if you have a team that's winning constantly, you mm. don't see the warts. You don't see what's wrong. Yeah. Winning covers all, basically. Winning. Yeah, you're winning in spite of these things. But yeah. when you're losing, it's magnified. Why, yeah. why things aren't happening. So then yeah. you can really start to understand, oh, this is kind of, you know, if I fix this, that will help me to win. Mm. Um, you know, and, and you think about that in sports. It's like, you know, hey, the, the New England Patriots a few years ago were the best team. And, you know, they were winning uh, championships left and right. Um, mm. They had a terrible defensive point, uh, points, mm. terrible offense. Nobody looked at it because they were winning. Then all of a mm. sudden you took away one key piece, which mm. was their quarterback, Tom Brady, mm. and the team just looks terrible. It's like, mm. okay, well, everybody missed, you know, the, the, the opportunity to understand how great this individual was because mm. they were winning. Yes. But without that, there was a lot of pieces that were missing that were never addressed because they mm. always counted on that one thing happening. Mm. So... Mm. That's kind of that sports analogy there. And mm. I'll probably use that another sports analogy. During our conversation. <laughs> so is sports where your kind of competitive competitiveness came from? Yeah, I mean, when I was younger, uh, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood, a blue collar neighborhood. Um, okay. So it was just my sister and I parents were divorced when I was younger. Um, and sports were always kind of like in the neighborhood. It was you're either doing football, basketball, all those things. And, um, I always wanted to win there. Mm. Um, so I remember that this is vividly when I was probably about eight or nine. Mm. Um, I grew up in a neighborhood. Everyone's playing basketball. I'm a shorter guy, not like, okay. you know, six, two, six, three. Uh, you can't okay. see from behind. <laughs> <my desk> <laughs> uh, so it was never really that great at basketball, okay. but they had this thing where someone, uh, this group came into the neighborhood. And they said, hey, we're going to do all these kind of basketball type drills and stuff. And you can win things. Mm. And the one thing was if you could do, if you could hit free throws, you'd win this Walkman. Right? Okay. Yeah, I'm dating myself yeah. here. Cause there's yeah, no yeah. <laughs> I know what a Walkman is. We're okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, 
So yeah, I probably never made a free free throw before in my life before mm. that day. Mm. I ended up winning and I made about wow. 15 or 16 in a row. And everybody was like, what the hell? Gosh, you <laughs> suck at basketball. And I was like, but I want that walk, man. Yeah. So I'm going to do whatever it took to get that walk. Yeah. So yeah. That, that kind of thing. Uh, and it's, things like that are very competitive. And mm. a lot of people will see me as more laid back. And they're like, oh, Josh isn't that competitive. But it's like I almost have to dial it down because I yes. am so competitive internally. Yes. Like, I, I want to win all the time. Um, yeah, I think, like I said, with the, the lessons learned from, from losing, I yes. just don't want to repeat that <laughs> ever because yeah. uh, like sometimes it's very painful. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Agreed. And so you mentioned you came from a blue collar background. So how did you transition from that into sales? Like what was your motivation for getting into sales, which is much more of like a, a white collar career? How did you make that transition? Yeah. So uh, great question. So I actually paid for college myself, wow. um, was a psychology major. So, okay. you know, um, and it was more learning about how to, how to solve problems and those kind of things. Mm. Um, I was at Oracle. So uh, that was my, kind of my first job out of college and I was in the support renewals team and granted I was making okay money, college graduate, yada, yada, yada. And we had these sales reps, <clears throat> the IR team. And essentially, mm. you know, they were book, you know, booking all these deals and, and things like that. And I would, they, I'd have to help write contracts for them. Um, right. So they say, Hey, I've got this opportunity. We need an order form. We need, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, so I would do that. And at one point, one of the, the two of the managers said, Hey, Josh, can you come in and do a presentation to the group? So I had to get up in front of the group. There's probably 75 to hundred sales reps in this wow. auditorium. Um, and I'm walking through the process I'm saying, this is what you need to do to ensure that your deal closes. Hmm. Um, so after that they said, okay, well, would you shadow on some of the calls to make sure these guys are doing it? Hmm. And I, I did that. And then that light bulb went off on my head. I'm like, I can do this. I was like, these guys yeah. are making five times what I'm making and I'm doing their job. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And I, so that, that's kind of where it really transitioned. And as soon as mm -hmm. I really understood that, Hey, you know, I have the aptitude to, to, you know, to do the sales position. I understand the process. I understand how to get things done. Mm -hmm. um, it was more, how do I fast track myself to that role? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so that, that, that's where things really took off for me. And I, I went into another group, uh, briefly at Oracle and then went to Adobe and was in field sales and off and running. So you mentioned about kind of transitioning and pivoting your role. So what were some of the practical things that you did to, whether it was prepare yourself or get positioned to be able to make that move? Um, so some of the practical thing, I think it was more so meeting with the people that had the role, mm. uh, some of the reps, some of the managers and understanding what I needed to do. Mm. Um, and, and I've done that throughout my career as well. So some of the practical is I'd say shadowing, um, mm. you know, understanding best practices, what the, what the expectations are in that role. Mm. And then having those conversations and aligning what I'm doing to say, Hey, Josh is capable of doing it. He's already doing it in some cases, Mm. You know, this isn't going to be a heavy lift for him to 
to come in to do this. Mm. Um, and I've done that, like I said, throughout my career, I, I always say, you know, and I've talked to the guys that report to me and I said, figure out where you want to go and align mm. with the person that's doing that job and mm. then attach yourself at the hip of that guy. Mm. So uh, I did that at, at Adobe, uh, the guy, Mike Connor, um, he was a, a senior guy, not senior, senior, but, uh, mm. he, I said, Hey, you're making X and people say mm. it's kind of a full power gauche or whatever to ask how much people are making. Mm. I, I don't, I don't think that way. I say, that's where I want to be. Mm. What did you do to do it? Mm. And how do I get there? Mm. And so he kind of, he shared, you know, some things and I said, okay, well, this is my target moving forward. This is mm. where I want to be. So this is mm. what I'm driving towards. Mm. Um, and ultimately once I got to that and I said, okay, well, what's that guy doing? Mm. You know, how do I get to there? So it wasn't like you just, I kind of get status quo and, and relax. I'm like, okay, I've made it. I'm at the top of the mountain. I think mm. there's always a place to go. And, mm. um, that's, that's kind of where I focused. Like, so I, you know, I was an individual contributor. I wanted mm. to get into leadership. So mm. <clears throat> align myself with a leader who I admired and said, okay, what are you doing? What are those steps? Then I said, mm. okay, I wanted to be in like VP of sales. You know, what am I doing here? So I, I did that alignment. I, you know, mm. joined groups like, are you familiar with uh, pavilion? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So but for those who aren't tell, tell people a little bit about pavilion. It's so it's a community of, you know, sales professionals and leaders, um, that you, you join, there's a membership fee. Um, but it's also, mm. it's very collaborative. There's mm. a CRO school, which I attended mm. and graduated in May of last year, I believe it was, but it really gives you the template on how to do that job because, uh, mm. a big thing in the industry is fake it till you make it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> a lot of people are, are struggling to figure out how to do these roles. And it's like, okay, mm. well, why don't we discuss this in an open forum and say, okay, mm. it, let's share best practices. Mm. Um, and, you know, there isn't a, typically a CRO school um, mm. <clears throat> where you get a diploma. So what, what, what am I supposed to be doing on a daily basis to progress mm. my career and then mm. also help my company? Because mm. in most cases, we have equity in the company. So mm. that, that was one of the things I, I joined. Um, and they, they have, you know, monthly meetups here in the DC area. Mm. Um, just a lot of content. There's a, a Slack channel. So if you want to, I'm doing a commercial for these guys now. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, so if, if you want to, uh, uh, you know, you know, have a conversation. I was just looking yesterday, somebody was having an issue with, with HubSpot and how they could pull out data from HubSpot mm. to report mm. to the board. Mm. Right. If you didn't have a forum like that to discuss, where do you go? Where would you go? Yeah. So, mm. you know, and that's, that's, what's the really cool thing about that. So, you know, my ultimate goal is to move into the CRO role. Okay. Um, you know, it's more of a title thing at this point. Mm. Um, at my current company, I, you know, manage most of those, res most, if not all of those responsibilities of CRO. Mm. So, mm. um, you know, what happens after that, I'm going to start looking at the next step. Like, yeah. is it CEO? Is it president? Mm -hmm. You know, whatever it might be, um, mm -hmm. that that's going to be kind of my next stepping stone. And so you mentioned that you wanted to transition into leadership. So how far into your career was that? And what made you want to start transitioning into leadership? Um, 
I can tell you the day or time frame I was at Adobe again. Okay. What? And this is probably going to sound bad. This is just me personally, but I remember, and I'm not going to mention his name. There was an older sales guy, Mm. probably mid to late sixties, still carrying a bag. And he just looked miserable. And Mm. I said, I don't want to be that guy. Right. Mm. Um, Mm. So how do do I do that? And I started looking at the people that were in the same age range and what were they doing? Um, You know, you know, because the technology, as we get older, this is just the reality of this situation. We don't mm. keep up with technology as much as we did when we were younger. Yeah. And so it's more of the fundamentals of leadership at that mm. point. Um, you know, that's what you rely on more than the, the speeds and feeds, bits and bytes. So mm. that that's where it kind of drove me. I said, okay, well, you know, I'm a younger guy in the game right now. Let, let's really cut my teeth. Let's get as far as I can and then kind of transitioned into that role as I get older. Like yeah. you, you can't just <clears throat> say I want to move to VP of sales and, and, you know, make it happen. You actually have to mm. earn it. Mm. So that, that it took time for me to do that. Um, and it, you know, there, there's not a, a, a manual on how to do this <laughs> on how to make your career work. It's a, so it was a lot of experimenting. Um, if mm. you looked at my LinkedIn, you know, mm. my career yeah. history there, there's been some, some movement there and it's yeah. because, Hey, this isn't always, uh, what I thought it was going to be, or maybe it's just not a right fit or, Hey, there was a stint here that as soon as I got there, I saw like there's something shiny over there. And I'm like, Oh, okay. that's, that's where I want to be. You know what I mean? <laughs> Those things happen. Um, mm. but as far as, you know, the leadership thing, I've always been, um, like a leader, like, mm. uh, it's not like I've put, put a hat on said, I'm the leader now. It's just like, Hey guys, let's go do this. This mm. is our goal. And I would, you know, rally the troops and we're mm. off and running. So it's something that's, mm. it's kind of ingrained that you can hone, um, mm. so that, you know, th- this is what I want to do in the future. Mm. Um, I really like not just leading for to say leadership or those kind of things. It's mm. more about empowering my team. I really, yes. the biggest kick I get out of this is seeing someone, you know, mature mm. and, you know, like, Hey, we hired this guy. He was kind of, mm. you know, let's just say a C player, B, whatever it might be. And really mm. just grow and blossom into the role. Mm. And then if ultimately they could take my job, that would be key. You know sure, what I mean? Yeah. Cause then I yeah. did, so, it's almost like you're you're building someone um, and building them up in a team to to ultimately take your job. If you're doing mm. a good thing, that's mm. the right way to do it. Uh, mm. Another sports mm. analogy, right? Yeah. So you, as a as a head coach of an NFL team, um, you hire an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. You mm. work with them. You mm. see them. Their offenses take off, right? Mm. Uh, and this is happening in the NFL right now. Then what happens? then they become head coaches. Mm. Then you're competing mm. for a job unless mm. you become like a president at some company, but mm. it, it's not a competitive, like, Oh, I don't want this guy to win. You no, it's healthy. It's healthy win. competition. Yeah. 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 Mm. But I mean, I was like, I, when you see somebody, you know, succeeding and everything that you work together to build that up, that that's like the, the best part of it. Mm. And what, what were some of the, the, the lessons that you learned along that journey to, to get into VP? What were some of the, the tough lessons that you learned along the way? 
Um, you can't always be friends with, and it's hard because I like to make friends. Okay. So those are some of the difficult things is, and you're going to be looked at when you're the leader, there's going to mm. be people that have differing opinions. I mean, mm. and when you wrong, you're wrong, they're going to point it out. Mm. Right. Mm. And when you're right, they're going to say, well, I did that. Um, mm. So mm. Those, those kind of understanding the dynamics of the, the team. Um, and then, you know, uh, across the company, understanding um, specifically within sales, but, mm. you know, there's a lot of animosity towards sales in some cases. The, like, you yeah. know, if you're looking at the technical side of the house, they say, hey, sales doesn't really do much. Yada, you know, and it goes. Mm. So understanding those and those are the lessons that it's like, hey, we're not all going to be friends here. Mm. Let's build a common respect for each other, one another. Mm. Let's build this together. Mm. Um, you know, and that's really been my focus. Um, another thing I would say is always read your comp plan um, and okay. ensure that, <laughs> that, you know. You know, you know what's in there. Yeah, and make sure that what you're being told is actually in there. So that's a in lesson the, yeah. learned. Um, yeah, yeah, because the contract is king. The contract beats everything you've ever been told. Oh yeah, because when either way, <laughs> it's going to go, go back to that paperwork. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a really interesting thing about what you said about you can't always be friends with your team, and I wonder if that comes at a certain level of seniority. So, like in my last role, you start to hear things the more senior you get that you can't actually share with your team. And there becomes a bit more of a distance, actually, like, I can't actually go out and, like, be drunk with my team or whatever it is, because actually, like, at that level, that doesn't really work. So do you think it's it's a level thing, or do you think it's more of a situational thing? I think at a level, you're privy to more information that you can't share. But yeah. also situationally, because, um, you know, if, if you're too friendly with one of your reps that might be viewed as, you know, by the other reps as, as something. So it's like, mm. you almost kind of have to separate yourself, you know, it'd be one, one of the team, one of the guys, mm. but you mm. also have to separate and take a step back. Mm. Um, and mm. I think it's also beneficial. Um, I'm thinking of a, a, an example here where we had the team together mm. and I wanted to be one of the guys, right. I wanted mm. to hang out and do all those things. Yeah. And I said, this is a moment for me to step away. And I step, mm. uh, took a step back and I, I heard after the fact that it became, it made them a tighter group because yes. now they could actually bond yes. Yes. as a team yes. without me being there. And yeah. I was like, that's perfect. You know, I, I don't, you know, I would love to be friends and I, you, you know, yeah. that's what we are as humans, but yes. I would much rather these, t the teams, you know, solidify, build, you know, and they, they can collaborate and yeah. learn from each other. Yeah. And then when I'm not, when I'm saying something, it's not me talking down. It's like, Hey, everybody's communicating across the board there. Yeah. And, and I think that that's one of the, the things that people kind of talk about with leadership is a little bit lonely because you can't have that same camaraderie that you used to have when you were like part of the team. So what are some of the things that you've done to kind of combat that, that loneliness that comes sometimes with leadership? I talk to a lot of my peers. Mm. So, um, you know, peers, not necessarily within the industry, you know, in cybersecurity specifically, 
mm. but just, you know, across the board, like what are they doing? What are, you know, and that's really builds that rapport. Um, it, it, so it's not as lonely because you're not mm. on an Island. Mm. Um, a lot of times I'll talk to my former colleagues as well. Okay. Um, you know, you know, uh, so there's a group of us, we worked together at Akamai in like 2014 to 2017 is when I mm. left and we have a chat group. Um, you know, it's been 10 years, you know, seven years wow. since we worked together at least Yeah. <clears throat> talk on a daily basis, but then we kind of communicate there. What, are, what are they doing? What are they seeing? And mm. there's no, mm. I mean, we, how do you say it? we break each other, bust each other's B-A-L-L-S I'll say yeah, all yeah. the time, but it's more so yeah. that that's kind of that open forum. We're like, Hey man, this is, this is kind of a, you know, a bad situation. What do you guys think? And obviously we're not mm -hmm. sharing company secrets, secrets or information, yeah. but just how do you deal with that? Um, mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. also uh, I'm married. So I talked to my wife, I'm, she's my sounding board and I'm her sounding okay. board okay. vice versa. She's in uh, real estate. So, okay. I, you know, I, I talked to her about challenging moments with my team and customers mm. and she does mm. the same thing. Mm. So, uh, mm. I think you just have to have someone to talk to because mm. you can easily go down a rabbit hole. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I was reading the other day about like, if, and you can also get stuck in the like LinkedIn leadership vortex echo chamber. Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. just like you can go down rabbit holes and I should be doing this and that. And then, yes. Um, it seems like a lot of consultants are trying to uh, sell you on something as far as how yes. you can be a better leader. Um, yeah. But I think there's free advice. And, you know, if you go to church, maybe your priest can help you. But it's just someone mm. understanding um, mm. the human aspect of your mm. role and how to fit mm. together. And you know, that's, that's kind of how I do it. Mm. That makes sense. And I think there's some, some really, really good things in there because even like what you said about former colleagues, I remember when I got a head of department role, my old head of department, we could have very different conversations now that actually I'm at the same level as him. And he was like, this is great that we could actually just talk like this. We had a really good relationship, but there are still things he couldn't tell me. So actually the former colleagues thing was, was really, really powerful for me. Yeah. And, and, and when I was talking about that, um, that, that moment where I kind of stepped away from the team and they really bonded. Mm. Mm. There was a, an exact moment. So my manager, um, Keith at Akamai, mm. he, he built the team. Mm. Uh, we were all in Northern Virginia outside, right outside of DC. And he was from Boston. He flew in for the day. We did some training and all the stuff. And we mm. went to, you know, we're like, okay, we're going to kind of separate. So Keith went back to his room and he gave me a call and he said, Hey, what are you up to? And I was like, Oh, I'm here with the team. And he was like, but I mean, I think he also looks back at that. That was that bonding moment. Yes. You know, for him, yes. he, he built the team and then we were all, yeah. you know, yeah. hanging out, you know, you know, doing what guys do after work. Um, and yeah. he was just kind of like, Damn, I can't be one of the guys now. I know. <laughs> it's it's such a tough moment, but it's such it's also such a necessary moment. It's such a necessary moment. So one of the things you mentioned was about, you know, you tried quite a lot of different things in your career. So like I was looking through your LinkedIn and it's it's a really, really interesting journey. So what were some of the the big risks that you took? Maybe some that you would take again, some that you wouldn't take again. What what were some of those big risks that you took? 
so I guess the biggest risk, um, so my, my career started out in public sector. So mm-hmm. I was selling into, you know, a federal civilian for years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my background. And the biggest risk I made was around the time I went to IBM. So okay. IBM, I went, I left Adobe, which was a, a stable, stable place. I went to IBM, mm-hmm. which is also a stable place, but I went to a, an acquisition, which was a company called Cast Iron. So it was like okay. essentially a startup that was just being acquired by uh, IBM. Mm. Um, and then also shifting from, so it was big company. So I was Oracle or uh, Adobe and mm. kind of IBM, but this small little startup. Yes, yeah. So it was kind of a yeah. feel. And then uh, going from public sector to commercial. It's a commercial mm. enterprise. Mm. So it was a big learning curve. And I, I think I did it at the time because I was getting complacent and comfortable. And right. what I like, I, maybe I'm a glutton for punishment, but when I get complacent, um, mm. I almost like to shock my system, like throw cold water. Mm. Like mm. We're not doing this. This, you know, we got to keep going. Mm. Um, so that, that was kind of one of the things. And, what I really learned was you don't need these big companies. I mean, obviously it's helpful, um, mm. but that's where I really kind of got the mindset that, you know, startup early stage companies mm. can really do things that large companies can't. can't yeah. um, people always say like turning the Titanic or something like mm. that. Mm. Um, but you can pivot. You know, I was talking mm. to a customer the other day and they said, hey, we kind of want this feature functionality. Um, you know, how long would that take? You know, six months, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I said, no, we can do that in a two week sprint. <laughs> yeah. That's the benefit of a startup is that, yes. Hey, you know, we, we can on the fly do things. If it's, if there's revenue mm. behind it, essentially. Yeah. Um, Why not? Yeah. <laughs> so that, and then went to after, thereafter, I went to Ado, um, Akamai. Okay. Right? So that was kind of a shift and it was more of web performance. Um, mm. kind of then turning into security with uh, bot management, web application firewall. And I did really well there. Um, mm. was there for about four years, but then started to, to get that itch again. Mm. Um, and that's why I went to the company Instart, um, which was going to a, a competitor, kind of an unknown within the market. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, can I do this again? Can I do mm. what I did? Was it, was it Akamai? Was it yeah, me? Was it me? Yeah. Love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so going to that startup and you know, that, that was a big, a big cold water shot again, um, mm. where I, I learned that some of it is that, that big company, some of it's mm. me. Mm. Um, but you know, it's kind of a reality check. Like mm. I re- recall customers that I was talking to and I picked up the phone was when I was at a new company. They, they're like, who? And I'm like, hey, I don't know what the <laughs> basis, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's just kind of that gut check that, Hey, it's, it's not about me. It's a, it's, yes. you know, in some cases it's, it's yes. know, how can I benefit them? And I couldn't at mm. that point. Um, so that, you know, as another thing that it would kind of force me to change and then going to my previous company that was acquired was a seed funded company. So it was mm. all hands on deck, you know mm. what I mean? Like, mm. I wasn't just, you know, AEVP, 
SC, I was the janitor. I was doing everything. <laughs> uh, and we all were. It's not just yeah. not just me. Um, mm. And that that's kind of the reality of this situation is just understanding that, hey, mm. this is going to be a wild ride. It could work mm. out well. Mm. More than likely it won't. But, yeah. hey, you know, this this is your lottery ticket. Mm. Um, you know, mm. make, make mm. of it what you will. Mm. So you mentioned a couple of times about you know, when you're feeling complacent or really comfortable, how do you identify that within yourself? Is that something that you're always kind of checking or is it suddenly you might wake up one day and be like, oh, hold on, I'm, I'm in that place again. How, how, do you, how do you know that? Because I feel like there are lots of people who might be in that space. So how do you identify? I don't know. I mean, it's more of just a gut feeling. Mm. You know, it's just like, and like I said, maybe I'm a masochist. Like, hey, thank you. Why, why don't I throw a monkey wrench in this? <laughs> yeah. <know? laughs> but so it could turn out well and it could, it could not. Um, yeah, it's just one of those things where I like, um, it's it's not uh, chaos. I'm not going to say chaos, but I like mm. change. Challenge, um, yeah. I strive on that. And when something's consistent, I'll go back to my wife again. She has a calendar that's consistent. It mm. doesn't deviate. Mm. Um, my calendar, like, uh, if I showed you my work calendar changes all the time, I'm moving mm. things around. I'm doing things all the time. Mm. Um, it's just the, the kind of the nature of the way that I operate and then mm. the way that I am. And if, mm. if I started to get that stagnant calendar, yes. I'm just making an analogy here um, yeah. in case my boss is listening, but, um, <laughs> then, then, <laughs> then it's kind of like, okay, well now I need to you know, shake things up and do things yes. different. And yeah. you know what I mean? Um, I, I wish I had a better answer. It's just, it's something mm. within me mm. that when I know, I know, mm. and then I'm like, let's, let's do something different. Let's try this a different way. Mm. That makes sense. So as you went along your leadership journey, you would have had to build some teams. So what are some of the things that have been really key for you in building successful teams and identifying the right people to be part of your team? Yeah, I mean, so typically what I we all strive to do is to to identify that A player, you know, that mm. persona that everyone talks about. Um, and ideally, everybody would like to have that. Um, that's the, the person you want to hire. That's going to be your flagship rep. Um, mm. I really also enjoy taking the B players. Um, mm. It sounds so negative, but taking a B player and really making them or elevating them into an A player. Mm. Like, mm. Uh, they have all the, everything you need, the tools in place. They just mm. need to be sharpened. So yes. that, that's what I really excel at. And a lot of times is, you know, I, I work with someone who's like, okay, well, you're doing all the right things. You've got all the right activity, mm. but it's just not turning into to revenue or it's not being productive. So mm. what do you have to do differently? Um, mm. I, I like working with that. It's kind of that problem solving. Mm. Um, another thing I do is I, I do a lot of puzzles. So I mm. like to, to mix and match the pieces to try to make it work. Mm. Um, and I think in building a team, you're, you're, you're putting all those pieces together. Mm. Um, ideally, you want the A player, B player, C mm. players. Um, there's a play, time and a place for those. Um, mm. But it's a, it's a lot of work to elevate a C player to an A player. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it's to, yeah, it's much easier to focus on that B player and elevate mm. them to A. Um, and, and hopefully you have that A player in place 
that mm. you can trust is doing the right things, you know? Mm. Um, and, and with A players, what I really focus on doing is giving, giving them a platform mm. to really highlight what they're doing. That, I think mm. that's what motivates most A players. Mm. Um, and then understanding, hey, if that A player wants to become a leader, mm. how do I help them do that? You know, mm. and th mm. those things are key. And it's just back to the psychology, psychology thing is understanding mm. what drives individuals mm. Mm. and trying to help them get to where they want to be because I wish I had a mentor coach. Like I've had ones that I identified along the way, but yeah. if I had one on my shoulder at the beginning, the, yeah, the, the devil and yeah. Angel, uh, throughout <laughs> my career, I think it would have been really beneficial to say, Oh, yeah. this, this, this is the path, Josh, this, yeah. this will help you uh, become mm. a better, better leader. So, you know what you mentioned from turning B players to A players, are there any like common themes or like, you know, it's usually these three things that will turn a B player into an A player. Yeah. So I, I would say m one of the key things is understanding activity mm. versus the right activity. So a lot mm. of times B players are just run, 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 run. Well, mm. that's just wasted energy. How do you, mm. how do you focus that? You know what I mean? How do you, mm. and I know this is going to be counterintuitive because I just talked about the calendar thing, but uh, really focusing, um, you know, and being detail oriented on these accounts, understanding the player. So mm. I think mm. building that out saying, okay, mm. this is where I'm going to target. This is where I'm going to spend my time. These are the, the key players I need to work with. Mm. Um, so getting that focus and mm. not just, Hey, I'm going to do this demo to this demo to this demo to this demo because it's, it's not a numbers game. Mm. It's a, a specifically in cybersecurity. It's a relationship game. It's like, mm. you have to build that trust. Mm. So where do you spend your time to build that trust to ensure mm. that you're going to get these opportunities that will close? Um, mm. So it's more, it's a mindset shift for some of the, the B players. You, and I identify um, a lot of the B players that, um, most of them are gym rats. I'll put it that way. Um, right. So they, they've right, already right. got that structure in place and they're yes. like, hey, eight o'clock, I'm doing this. You know what yes. I mean? They have that yeah. kind of. They're, they're ready to work hard and they do work hard. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, so it's like, okay. Uh, and I can think, uh, you can't see my physique, but <laughs> I'm not in great shape. Uh, but so <laughs> like, like, like a leader could be like a professional trainer. You know what yes. I mean? It's like, okay, yes. you are doing sit-ups and crunches and all that but you should be doing them this way. And if you do yes. it this way, you're yes. going to get better results. Yeah. So yes. that, that's what I try to do. Um, you know, I think just someone who, who can communicate with the C level. And mm. I, I talk to my guys about this all the time. Um, the dirty secret is a lot of these executives, you know, that you're trying to get in touch with C level CISOs, whatever. They're people just like us. We mm. kind of put them on a pedestal mm. and think, mm. oh, this guy. So, But I've seen it. I'm sure you've seen it that you get them outside of work and they're just talking about like soccer for you. Probably you're in the U.S. Yes. They're talking about football. They're talking about <laughs> yeah. just normal guys. And in yeah. some cases you're like, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So just yeah. This is it. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That these guys are uh, guys and girls are, are human. Yeah. Um, you know, they have the same things that we do, but yeah. you know, and understanding, uh, and this is going to be like another song, what makes them tick? 
Um, well so, done. You brought it back in. Nicely done. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. I, that, I think that's really beneficial. Don't yeah. be afraid. Um, you know, and I think a, a lot of things, one last thing with, with B players uh, specifically was you're going to make mistakes. Nobody's mm. perfect. Mm. Learn from your mistakes and be able to, to pivot. When mm. you say something mm. stupid on a call or in a meeting, mm. um, how do you, how do you recoup? How do you react mm. to that? Mm. Um, and that, that's one of mm. the biggest things is like, and we're mm. all going to do it. I, I do it mm. all the time. Um, mm. And then it's like, okay, now, now I need to rebound, figure out, get my bearing and mm. get back in the game. Another uh, sports analogy. But uh, I think that that's key is that those things, it's like just learning these little tips and tricks along the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some people have it out of the gate. Some mm. people need a little bit of coaching. Mm. Um, but I, I think we're all capable of doing that. It's just where do you want to be and what drives you? Agreed. Agreed. And I think even just with what you said about, you know, approaching C-suite people, it's like it comes back to that thing of, that we talked about earlier about separation is that sometimes like the C-suite people have had to separate themselves from their team or whatever it is. And sometimes that creates that perceived distance and that perceived pedestal, but actually like they're people who just want to connect with other people. Right. So it's that thing of actually like they do want to connect with people. If I can add value to them, they would love to actually connect with me. And it's understanding that thing of not being afraid of that distance and actually closing that gap. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's perfect. Yeah. So they, they've all probably been in our situation mm. Uh, mm. Where, wherever you're at today. I mean, most C-suite people are a little bit more senior, but they've yeah. been in a junior role where they're like, hey, um, I'm not sure if what I'm doing is right. You know mm. what I mean? So they're, they're, mm. they, they've had those feelings um, and they may still have them today, but just yeah. connecting with them on a human level, um, you know, obviously you treat mm. everyone with respect, but mm. just understand that, hey, <clears throat> don't be afraid to have the conversation and connect as a human. It, exactly. It, they decide a different direction as far as a solution. At least maybe you've made a connection you can network with or you know, see if you're in the same city, you see them outside of things, or you see them at a sports game, you're like, hey, how's it going? Mm, um, mm. And they'll always remember you. Mm, mm. Agreed. So just, just as we close, we normally do what we call tick fire questions. So I'm going to ask you a few questions, really quick fire answers. So the first one is, what's the difference between a good leader and a great leader? Oof, man, these aren't easy questions. Uh, so <laughs> a great leader, a great leader um, can his team will follow him mm. wherever he goes that from my perspective. So mm. um, they'll follow him to, into the fire and, mm. you know, trust that he knows what he's doing and, you know, they, he's, they bought into it. Uh, a good mm. leader, there'll be the respect there, but it's like, mm, okay, you know, mm. uh, that's not mm. a guy I want to follow in the future. I'm following mm. him today, but not in the future. You like the pressure. Cause that was a very good answer. Very good answer. So next question is, what are the top three things you look for when you're hiring someone? Uh, top three things. Um, you know, depending on the role, um, mm. well, obviously they have to be familiar with the industry that I, we're, we're selling into, whether it's mm -hmm. cybersecurity, you know. Uh, so they have to have a, a base level understanding of that. Um, they have to be able to communicate the value of whatever they're doing. Um, mm. It doesn't have to be our solution today. They don't have to give me the elevator pitch. Mm. But when I say, hey, well, what do you do? They, if they mm. can give them an elevator pitch about themselves, then they could do mm. it about – everyone can be mm. trained as far as that. Um, mm. 
And then that, that, that kind of drive, you know what mm. I mean? You know, what happened? Not what time do you get up in the morning, but how do, how do you start your day? Mm. You know, and, and when you mm. understand that and you're like, okay, well, this guy is a driven guy mm. um, or girl, sorry. Um, and that, that drive will take you a long way. Mm. So those are kind of the mm. three things I look at. Cool. And then last question, what's some of the best advice that you've been given? Um, it's always uh, kind of listen to yourself. You, you know, mm. internally what's right and what's wrong. Mm. Uh, mm. There's so much noise out there, you mm. know, whether it's LinkedIn or, you know, some other thing, you know, ultimately what's right and do the right thing. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of listen, listen to your gut because your gut mm. is right. Mm. Um, Mm. And I haven't always done it. <laughs> so, like I said, when you mm. lose, you make a mistake, then you look back and you're like, damn it, I should have listened. I should have listened. I, I knew it. Yeah. Yeah. Josh, thank you so, so much for being on the podcast. I've really enjoyed our conversation and there was a lot of really good insight in there. So thank you so much for your time and for being on the podcast. All right. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening and we will see you on the next episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to the What Makes You Tick podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed shooting it. Absolutely. There's so much value in hearing a tribe of virtual mentors telling you their career story and what it took to be successful. And that's the outcome of this podcast. If you like this and you've learned something, we also have a weekly newsletter on LinkedIn called Growth Magnet, which is everything to do with scaling tech startups, performance and leadership. So we'll put a link in the show notes. Make sure you click it now.